This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. These are positions of leadership. You know, these are the people we elect to voice our concerns. And it's really hard to see that those concerns are being voiced. We certainly don't see it. We don't see it in the newspaper. We don't see it. We don't see it much of any way. We don't see it on social media. You know, again, what's the point of having leaders who don't lead? Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. This week on Crossing Division... Well, let me tell you, today is January 8th, 2021, and this week is not exactly what I would consider a normal week. We had a fantastic outcome in the Georgia Senate uh, runoff elections on Tuesday, where two Democrats have been elected to the Senate. That effectively ends the Republican rule in the Senate House. But then on Wednesday, when Congress got together to count the electoral votes from all of the states, we had a, I don't even know what to call it, a violent uh, attempt to uh, infiltrate, a successful attempt to take over the um, legislative branch of government. Um, Trump supporters uh, were able to break into the Capitol building, um, parade around, and um, and do some significant damage. And we don't even know the full damage yet. So this week is kind of a week of what just happened and what's going to happen next. But what we had planned to do with my wonderful guest, Joe Lopez, we had planned to give you some discussion and predictions of what we think is coming up in 2021. And we will get to that. But we're going to start with talking about... Um, what's going on at the national level. And just a hint before, uh, Joe and I, uh, no reason for you guys to know this, but um, Joe and I were in the same law school class at the UW. We graduated in 1988 and one of our close classmates, Joe's really good friend and uh, someone who was um, one of our um, groomsmen at our wedding has, was named Jeffries. And Jeff passed away a year ago he was the most wonderful guy to talk to because he would just come up with these things that made you made you laugh and smile. And one of the things that Joe had shared with me was when he would get you talking, and he was great at that, and you would hit the point where you were beyond anything you really knew, um, but he wanted to keep you talking. And so he'd ask for your opinions on things, and then he'd urge you to go a little bit further by saying, well, predict so that's what we're going to do today in part, is we're going to predict. But let's start, Joe, let's start with, um, go ahead and introduce yourself, and then let's talk about um, what were your thoughts on Wednesday as we watched this riotous, uh, violent mob take over the, the uh, nation's capital? Well, at first, I, I, you know, really didn't expect much of, of anything, and you know, then suddenly there was a report of having, you know, breached the Capitol. And then I thought, well, this will fairly quickly be repulsed. We'll get people out of there. And, you know, then the next thing, you know, there, these guys were everywhere. Um, you know, to the point where this morning I've seen some stories about 
you know, feces on statues. Uh, DOJ is now saying that potentially national secrets might have been pilfered from desk drawers and filing cabinets as people were, you know, getting into Nancy Pelosi's and other offices and, you know, House and Senate members' desks in the chambers. Um, you know, I think we're going to be quite some time assessing just how deep the craziness that went on on Wednesday actually went. Yeah, I agree. You know, th- th- this wasn't just mayhem. It, it, it's a completely different order from, from anything we've been talking about just a few days ago. And mm-hmm. it just seems to be getting worse the more we get into it. You know, one of the things I thought, because we were sitting and sort of watching it unfold, was, um, you know, there's really no s- serious resistance to these folks coming in and just spreading wherever they want to go. And that was before. Yeah, I've seen the reports, too, that they were urinating in, in congressional offices, um, I mean, it, you know, dropping their pants and pooping. <laughs> you know, this is like I didn't think there would become a time in my life where I was casually discussing the fact that a bunch of sort of shaggy haired, bearded um, camouflage men were going to run into Congress, drop their drawers and poop on the floor. Well, you know, it's more than that. I mean, apparently there were, you know, members of different state legislatures who were taking part on this. You know, there's one guy who's the CEO of some company back in Illinois, and he's now trying to hang on to his job while, you know, the company's saying, hey, you know, we, we put him on a leave of absence and we're taking a look at this. Um, you know, this just went way beyond anything that we really would have expected. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, you know, weird fringe QAnon people. You know, right. They, these people really ran the gamut. Right. There's a picture of a, a guy smiling as he tries to carry off, and maybe he did take it out of the Capitol, the lectern that uh, Nancy Pelosi uses as a Speaker of the House. It's a big solid wood thing with a big gold seal on it. And the information on him is that he's from Florida. His wife is a doctor. You know, I mean, this is not a fringe dweller. This is someone who is, you know, financially comfortably off, we presume. I would presume many of the people we saw were financially um secure they had to get across the country oh yeah uh they had to you know be able to walk away from their job for for a week or so the gear that they were sporting is not inexpensive gear you know they they had you know top of the line combat looking type things people had guns that looked like expensive weapons no it it you know, again, it, it just went far beyond anything you would have expected, uh, both in terms of what these people were willing to do and, and where they really all came from. Yeah. You know, I, I think we've tried to sell ourselves the notion that, you know, the people who've been showing up at all of these Trump rallies were just a bunch of fringe dwellers and, you know, the remnants of the Hayden Lake people and the, the free men from years back. But this movement went far beyond any of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were just talking a few weeks ago on this show about uh, Lauren Culp and the people that he motivated to come out, not only to vote for him, but to give him money. And even after he obviously, you know, hugely lost the election, people were still sending him money for his, you know, completely frivolous legal challenges. I mean, there's well, I think, there's a 
there's a thing that is happening that you and I are not really in a good position to understand. Well, they probably are still sending him money. I haven't taken a look at his, I don't even know if this would still get reported into his campaign account or not. You know, generally the campaign year, I mean, the campaign year is, is supposed to end and you're supposed to do your final accounting after uh, December 31st. So he shouldn't still be taking in money. But when you get into this area of, of legal defense fund, it's yeah. pretty murky. Well, is that even a PDC issue? That's the trouble, is that you're no longer giving someone you know money to support their campaign. Right. And so technically, um, the campaign could just bank it and not report it anymore. Yeah. Well, and I'm not even aware. I'm trying to remember back. It's been over a month since I looked at his PDC filings, but I don't think his campaign even ended in the red. No, I don't think so either. You know, so, yeah, I don't know where the money goes now or how it gets accounted for. Mm -hmm. I think it, it goes into whatever he wants it to go into. Yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, what do you think is going to happen next? Uh, the the um, House of Representatives is drawing up impeachment um, documents and says they're ready to start impeachment uh, as of Monday. Does Trump get impeached? Predict. Um, well, I'd like to think so. You know, um, I was just looking at the calendar. I mean, as of Monday, uh, there will be eight business days until the inauguration on the 20th, and the eight includes the 20th. So if we're going to do something, it, it's going to have to be fairly soon. I think the real question, I think you can probably get articles of impeachment out of the House. Uh, is the Senate going to do anything? And I think that's the big unknown. I don't even know when uh, when do Warnock and Ossoff get sworn in, because I, we still have a Republican majority, assuming it's going to hold tight behind Trump, which I think is a big assumption. But you know, we're still going to have a uh, a Republican majority for for a bit to come. Yeah, I I had seen something on the um, Georgia races that said that the um, the Secretary of State has to certify the election yeah. results, and after that, they can be sworn in. But there isn't anything um, that stops the Secretary from certifying them earlier than they're required to be certified. So that's kind of it is possible that the new senators from Georgia could be sworn in, in an, on an expedited basis, but there's also no reason to think that that is the plan. Um, I, I think that the, um, the Democrats might be thinking not only has Trump earned a second impeachment and he would go down in history as the only president so far who's been impeached twice, um, but I think they're also thinking that there's some political um, gain to be had by sending it over to the Senate and forcing the senators to um, decide if they're going to hang with Trump or um, split from him. Well, and I, you know, I think it's a distinct possibility that you may have enough Republicans who would peel off. You know, certainly Romney, I think, voted for impeachment the last time, who might support impeachment. Mm -hmm. um, but if I had to predict, I, I would predict that we'd get articles of impeachment from the House and then we're just going to run out the clock until the uh, the game ends. Yeah, I think that's good. 
Uh, so what happens uh, post-riot, post-mob? Um, what happens now? The FBI is looking for people. There's ample evidence online of, you know, who was involved. A lot of people photographed. Um, oh, yeah. Well, with facial recognition, I mean, even a few hours after this, this riot, CNN was posting pictures and putting names to, uh, to the faces. I don't think it'll take very long to do that. You know, the question is going to be, you know, gathering evidence on individual people that's sufficient for a charge. But certainly you'll probably be able to get enough on, on you know, the main, the leaders, the real bad actors. Mm-hmm. Certainly that guy who was sitting in Nancy Pelosi's chair with his feet up on the desk. Yeah, you know, to bring charges so. against any number of people. Um, now, this morning, uh, one of the Capitol policemen has died. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is just deepening and deepening as, as we get further from it and take a look at what really went on. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was that one picture in the House chamber of, uh, you know, Secret Service men with guns drawn and furniture pushed up against the door. Mm-hmm. To try to you know stop people from breaking in, that was chilling. Yeah, that was chilling. Um, so you know, I think that the, the the more we take a look at this, and certainly we'll we'll get an activist Department of Justice in in, in a couple of weeks. I think there's going to be some significant fallout from this. I also think on, on a kind of minor level, you know, it's actually difficult if you go to the Capitol these days to do a whole lot to get past. A certain point, uh, I suspect that in the future, with we're going to see the building locked down even further than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, and this is going back to the '60s. Um, there was just about no place you couldn't get to. I mean, you could yeah. get down to the the tunnels that went to the executive office buildings. You could ride the little tram that they ride between buildings. Um, you know, these days you can't get anywhere close to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing, and one of the things I thought as we watched this, um, you know, sort of come about is, you know, anyone now in the sort of world arena who wishes to create harm against the United States, you know, there's there's some real opportunities. I mean, and I and I will say that's another reason why I think I think will be locked down a lot more is that if you can, if you know that there's this sort of uh, mob activity planned, and many people knew it was all over the. Um, social media, you know, you could easily blend in with that crowd and get, get in, you know, let them sweep you in on their wave. And then you, you could do all kinds of damage. I, I think I had seen yesterday that a laptop was missing out of one of the congressional offices. I, I want to say a Senate office, but you know, oh, there are all I, kinds of things that yeah, could I, be done. I, I'm sure that's all sorts of stuff went walking that we'll be hearing about in the months to come. Yeah. And probably some stuff we won't hear about. Yeah. Well, the probably we shouldn't hear about. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, about the- I, I think there's a bit of a blueprint here for the next group. Yeah, I think so too. What do you think about the police involvement? You know, we're starting to see now stories about the fact that off-duty um, cops were in the mob, and that some of them were using their passes and their IDs to help the mob get in. Yeah, stories that I've seen indicated uh, military, too. Yeah. This is the thing that really concerns me because I can remember, um, you know, on social media, talking to people who were concerned about, you know, is Trump going to to 
try a coup. I mean, this is weeks and months ago. And my thought was always, you know, the coups that have occurred in other countries are places where people, you know, Egypt, um, places in South America, where the a leader has the backing and full support of the military. And that's really essential for some sort of military coup. And Trump, I don't think, has ever really had the backing and support of the military. And so that that kind of mollified me. But this has made me realize that what I wasn't ever paying enough attention to was the fact that he has built significant support amongst the police. And I don't know if the police take an oath to uphold the Constitution the way members of the military do. I think they may not. And I think that uh, the fact that our police have become very militarized over the last 20 years, you know, they have all kinds of weaponry and tanks and materials that just weren't in police use you know, more than 20 years ago, I think we have to have more conversations about the police and who's in charge of the police and, and what might uh, the police be doing. Oh, yeah. Well, and you've seen this in, uh, in other countries as well, where Germany is starting to discover, you know, that the ranks of, of their police forces have been infiltrated to a large degree by, you know, extreme right-wingers with all sorts of racist views. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see any reason to assume why, you know, if doctors and state legislators can join these kinds of things, is it really all that much of a surprise that you've got police officers and military people who share these same sorts of views? I don't think it is. Yeah. So what other consequences do you think we'll see? I'll have you predict I think the real thing, I'm very interested to see where um, where the impeachment inquiry goes. Beyond that, I, I think it's going to be a, a significant question of, are we really going to see politically a kind of moderation of the public dialogue and particularly what goes on in the House and Senate? You know, there was some, it was, it was very interesting after the riot, the Senate, to a large degree, just you know, fell right in behind mm-hmm. certifying the Biden victory and, and just walked through everything very quickly. There was still a significant number of House people who were voting to uphold objections to the certification of the election. I mean, to a startling degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I was happy about was to see Kathy McMorris Rogers walk back some of the rhetoric because she had been buying into this, you know, this notion of we need to, we need to take a look at electoral fraud and all the rest of it. And immediately after the riot, she just backed off. Mm-hmm. But there were a significant number of people in the house who were still voting in favor of this kind of nonsense. I agree. I agree. And, you know, they weren't in any way the majority, but I was surprised too that they didn't suddenly realize, Hmm, you know, now may not be the time to play well, this game. I think what it says is a lot about the constituencies that they represent. And I think these people are well aware that even after the, uh, you know, the events of last Wednesday, they've got a significant number of people who vote for them who still support these kinds of Trumpian notions, these conspiracy theories, and all the rest of the racist and, and misogynistic stuff that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. 
So what happens uh, on January 20th at the, um, I would say the weekend leading up to and then and then on the inauguration day, do they all come back? The protesters? Mm-hmm. I suspect not. I suspect they'll lie low for a bit. Yeah. And certainly I would expect security to be, you know, about as tight as you can make it. Yeah, I would hope so. I think the real question, I mean, Trump announced this morning he won't be attending the inauguration. Yeah, which was sort of like, oh, thank God. Right? Um, right? <laughs> Nobody really wanted to invite you anyway. Exactly. Just fumig- get him out of there, fumigate the place, and let's move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I would like to see them remove him from office. I would like to see that situation come to an end at the earliest point that it can. But, you know, as you, as you know, there are not a whole lot of days left. No, eight. Eight. Uh, so let's talk about the state. We had our own protests in Olympia uh, on Wednesday. They do plan to be back on Monday when the legislature comes into session. Uh, the legislature, I think the plan is that they physically show up on Monday in order to pass the resolution that's needed for them to then operate remotely. And then the plan is to move the session to, um, I don't know, you know, some variant of Zoom meeting. I thought I saw something just this morning, you know, at least the leaders of the group who are planning to, you know, attempt to occupy the Capitol to the degree that these sorts of groups actually have leaders mm-hmm. were saying that they were not now planning to okay. attempt. But again, I don't know what that means. I don't know, you know, what does it mean to say that you're the leader of something that just ends up being disorganized chaos? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that, what that stands for or to the degree that any of these people step forward as spokespeople, what their word means. Right, right. Hard to know, hard to know. What do you think? So we'll take it from there and say, well, okay, let's say we, we assume we're going to get past uh, Monday. Are you anticipating anything big out of the legislative session this year? Wow, that's that's a pretty good one because um, there are some, you know, I think unexpected issues that you know we wouldn't have typically been dealing with that we're going to have to deal with. Um, we've been with the pandemic, we've been kicking a lot of cans down the road, and I'm particularly thinking. On the housing front, we have been extending these moratoria on residential evictions since last March. I think they're presently, they've been extended to next March. I think that's right. So, you know, we've got a lot of people who potentially haven't been paying and haven't been able to pay rent. I don't know what we're going to do to deal with just the cascading homelessness that's going to result when finally these evictions, the eviction moratorium expires and suddenly residential landlords are going to be able to start evicting people. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know if something has to happen or we're just going to have a huge crisis on our hands, you know, part financial, part of it humanitarian. 
you know, there, there needs to be something done, you know, for the number of people who potentially are, are going to be homeless. And, you know, to, to be perfectly even-handed about it, there's only so far that you can go in expecting, you know, residential landlords, some of whom are probably at the financial breaking point when these, you know, moratoria just keep getting extended. I don't know yeah. what you do on either front. I mean, it's a problem that requires an immense infusion of cash that probably the state doesn't really have. This is this is the problem. You know, the eviction moratorium began last March um, because the governor was very concerned that with the pandemic, people being laid off out of work and therefore not able to pay rent, his concern was, boy, you have a sudden surge of homelessness on top of a pandemic. And that is just, you know, in terms of, of public health, that's just going to be a crisis. So you push it off. And I, and I don't know this, but I assume that the thought was that surely the federal government will start something that will bring enough cash into the system so that people can sort of equalize um, and be able to pay rent or reduce rent. But that didn't happen. You know, the one-time payment of twelve hundred, it, it wasn't enough at that point. You know, people had gone, I think, quite some time, and even for those people getting unemployment benefits with an additional six hundred a month, um, you know, since it was always going to end at the end of July, yeah. it's pretty rational for people to think, you know, I'm not going to spend this on my rent because I need to build up, you know, a couple of thousand dollars in case. I get kicked out of here and I have to do something else. So I would say the, the lack of money coming into the system has, has turned a very bad situation into something that at this point now, you know, um, 10 months later is, is almost unfixable, I would say, because right now, if you have people who, who haven't paid rent for months, they're not going to be able to make that up. No, and, and, and the problem will only compound, uh, you know, if these things end up on credit records, then some of the people who have been evicted are going to have a hard time, even if they have the money, mm-hmm. you know, finding housing to rent. And it will just carry on from there. How many high school students now won't be going to college? Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah. And. And the state doesn't have the money to just flood no. out to either the landlords or to the people who are paying rent. No, that, that's really a federal issue. You know, the federal government can print money. States have to balance budgets. Right. And if the money isn't there, it's just not there. But, you know, the crisis is coming. Mm-hmm. I agree. Let's take a short break here. When we come back, I want to talk about um, the other big issue that I see the state facing that has significant uh, resonance locally, and that is um, policing and uh, deaths, Black Lives Matter, and the Manny Ellis case in our city. Hello, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by TAPCO. Pierce County's original credit union. You might already know that credit unions are not-for-profit financial cooperatives with a focus on enriching their members instead of big bank shareholders. TAPCO is committed to serving Tacoma and Pierce County 
just like Channel 253. That means when you put your money there, you put it back into our community. Think about it. You go to the night market, you go to the Grand, and you shop at local stores. So why not keep your money local too? TEPCO offers the products and services you need. Home loans, auto loans, checking and savings, online and mobile banking, all with lower fees and better rates than big banks. Plus, TAPCO donates to local causes and supports our community in other ways, so you can feel good about helping your neighbors. To learn more about our local choice for all of your banking needs, visit tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Hi, we're back. And uh, before we start talking about possible police reforms and issues coming out of Olympia, Let me take a minute to say, uh, if you're not a member of Channel 253, now would be an excellent time to join up. It is $4 a month or $40 a year. And, um, you know, in addition to supporting these great broadcasts, uh, podcasts, I should say, you're also going to get some access to member-only content. Um, Our producer, Doug Mackey, does a great little podcast called um, Off the Record that uh, talks to various um, guests and hosts about all kinds of things. Plus we have a new uh, Slack channel set up for um, members. And I have to say that is becoming a really nice little um, communication board uh, for people finding out what's going on in Tacoma and um, you know what people think about various issues. So do consider joining Channel 253. We would really appreciate having you. Okay, Joe, let's go back to talking about uh, Olympia. One of the things I expect to happen, based on everyone talking about it, is some kind of, um, I don't know if I want to call it police reform measure, or whether it's just a tightening up of um, what the Initiative 940 tried to set in place with more police accountability. Specifically, I think, because of the um, Manny Ellis killing his death at the hands of Tacoma Police Department in March, and the fact that it really didn't become public knowledge for several months until the News Tribune broke the story and publicized the fact that the coroner felt that it was a homicide. It was not an accidental death in custody. It was, in fact, a a death that was caused by another, caused by um, the, the actions of the police. Um, the, uh, that also revealed that the case was not being properly investigated under initiative 940. When there is a, uh, death in custody, the, um, the, the matter must be investigated by a neutral, uh, investigative authority. Uh, the Tacoma PD had asked the Pierce County Sheriff's office to investigate. The Sheriff's office started to investigate and never revealed that they had sheriff's deputies on the scene. And just recently we learned there was an off-duty sheriff's deputy on the scene who actually physically helped to restrain Manny Ellis. So the Pierce County Sheriff's Department investigation was tainted, flawed. It's worth adding that we didn't find out about this until I think it was the investigation results were to be discussed with the Pierce County prosecutor Right. And it was only when she, Mary Robnett, found out that a Pierce County officer had been involved in the situation that she had to walk away and had to step back. And then this got turned over to the uh, 
the state attorney general, the, the governor had to appoint an investigating authority, and he gave it to the state patrol to perform an investigation, which has only recently been concluded. Right. And it, you know, it, so it's the case that at every stage of the game here, it doesn't seem as if positive constructive action has ever been taken. We're always reacting. The city didn't seem to take any action until it hit the newspaper when the newspaper requested, I think it was Stacia Glenn, when the newspaper requested the uh, the autopsy results. The county didn't take effective action until the prosecutor looked at them and said, we can't even touch this. A county official was involved here. So, well, I'll say that, yeah, that, and, and, you know, 940 required that everybody who was involved step away, but we didn't have that happen. No. And and the lack of, of sort of transparency and public accountability continues because only, I mean, just within the last week or so, did the Seattle Times publish that it had learned from a public records request for, for the uh, investigative records from the state patrol only then did it become public information that there was a fifth right. Tacoma Police Department officer and a Pierce County Sheriff's Department uh, deputy involved, physically involved, putting their hands on Manny Ellis and helping to restrain him in different ways. I mean, so almost a year later, we are just now finding out about additional people. And then the Tacoma Police Department puts the this fifth officer on leave he's been working this entire time and to me whereas the other whereas four other tacoma police officers have been on leave mm -hmm. since shortly after the period where the news tribune reported on the autopsy findings and so the message that i'm seeing again and again and again is that there is no internal plan to be publicly accountable when the police are involved in a death in custody. They have no intention of coming forward to the public for whom they work and saying a terrible thing has happened. Here's what we know so far. Here are the people that have been involved and here's our plan for investigation. Well, and really we've got a need for transparency on kind of two tracks here. You know, one is an investigation into the events the night Manny Ellis was killed. Secondly is a look bureaucratically, politically, at what has gone on behind the scenes at the city and the county. Who's been making these decisions or not making these decisions? Who's been taking effective action? And if none taken, why not? You know, I, I suspect that that investigation is, there's a reckoning to come there. I agree. I agree. Well, this is something that I, I spoke briefly to Nate Bowling the other morning for his podcast that's coming up uh, in a bit on, you know, predictions for um, 2021. And, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that here too. And that is that, you know, I think there needs to be um, a deep look at our city manager and her role in this, because if she didn't know what the police department was doing and which police officers were engaged in this, that's 
a huge problem. The police department reports to her. She is in charge of the chief of police and the police department. If they're not telling her that information, that is a significant breach in you know, organizational control and command. If she knew and she didn't tell the mayor, who's the one who's likely to be on camera getting asked about these things and not having the answers, that is an enormous breach in terms of you know, protecting and safeguarding the city and the mayor and making sure things work effectively. Yeah, I, I, there are a lot of questions that are going to need to be answered here. Um, I have actually been a little surprised that the response, both to the death of Manny Ellis and then to the way officially this has all been handled since then, that the response to these things has been as muted as it's been. And I think that as, as more starts to come to light, I do think that there's a real reckoning here for, for the city and for the county. You know, if nothing else, I, you know, the, there's a very good attorney representing the family. Yeah. And if nothing else, this is going to be a very expensive lawsuit for the city. Well, and, you know, having watched some of the bystander videos of the night that Manny Ellis died, I think it's going to be very hard to defend against that lawsuit. I think so, too. I think so too. Yeah, that's. Well, we do anticipate that the so right now the it looks like the state patrol has completed their investigation. That's those are the records that were obtained by the Seattle Times. Um, it has gone now to the attorney general for his office review of whether any charges should be filed or what actions should occur now. That review is ongoing. Um, I don't know, you know, and I, as I mentioned on uh, Nerd Farmer, I work at the Attorney General's office, so I'm not going to speculate, and I don't have any personal knowledge at all that's well outside any area that I work in. Um, but I, I think that we will see some decisions coming soon. I, I think everyone's aware that the one-year anniversary is coming up in March. I think that there's a, a sensitivity to the fact that the legislature wants to know what's going on here and is going to have various uh, legislation um, that it's working on regarding um, police departments and accountability under 940. It's interesting to note, you know, only recently has uh, Tacoma been implementing police body cams. And on this, you have to go back several years. Uh, in 2015, we had the whole Project Peace initiative which came about as a result of police killings, not in Tacoma, but elsewhere in the country. And we were looking at you know, policing methods, police relationships with the community, what are community expectations of, of transparency and accountability. One of the recommendations that that came out with was a recommendation for the use of body cams. In 2017, which is now gonna be four years ago, there was a pilot initiative regarding the use of body cams by the Tacoma PD, uh, but it's only been within the last month that we've actually been, uh, you know, rolling out having the entire force using body cams. You know, again, it, it's we always seem to be reacting after the fact here, not taking proactive steps. 
to deal with these kinds of situations. Yeah, and what um, what surprises me, and I and I kind of hesitate to use that term because I feel like I'm a real you know naive idiot sometimes. But what does surprise me is is that this community in Tacoma has been advocating for these changes. You know, it, it was it was Tacoma that was, and, and the Puyallup tribe in particular, that was instrumental in getting Initiative 940 passed. It in Tacoma in the Puyallup tribe. They had a tribal member, Jacqueline uh, Salyers, who was killed by police. She was in a car. They were it parked. They were after the man, her boyfriend, who was in the car. He had jumped out and ran. She continued driving forward, and they shot her numerous times, numerous times. Um, and that really was a, um, you know, sort of a match that lit up a lot of people in the feeling that something is fundamentally off here in how the Tacoma Police Department is policing our citizens. You know, the the force is not making sense. The reactions are too extreme and it needs to be changed. So here we have these local initiatives that are, you know, funded um, by local money, passionate, people who care deeply and still we get this what I would say is a rather insultingly um, non-responsive um, response from COVID. I mean there there is not I sense no urgency. I sense um, that the um, law enforcement feels like you know they should be left alone to make their own decisions. And I just think that, you know, the change that we should normally expect to see, given these events, we are not seeing it. I don't seem, even now, you know, with not revealing which officers are involved almost a year later, you know, that is not a responsive or responsible way of interacting with the public. Well, I think what we're left with is at the very least, the impression that the attitude is that if we do nothing, this will eventually blow over and go away. That has typically been an approach that works for people. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't be, if, if Manny Ellis hadn't been killed, we wouldn't be where we are even today. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's the scandal of this, is that somebody has to die before we start taking these issues seriously. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've just been trying to ignore them. So do you think we'll see something that's a real change, something that actually may make a difference coming out either Olympia or locally? What's your prediction? I think we'll see something coming out both from Olympia and locally. I guess at this stage of the game, I've, I've, become kind of cynical that it's going to make any sort of real substantive difference down on the ground. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And and I hate saying this because it's a, it's a a huge effort, but it's going to rely on the efforts of the citizens to hold them accountable. They will not hold themselves accountable. They will not even hold themselves transparent. Well, yeah. Uh, You know, 
to be perfectly honest, it's not just the citizenry. I haven't even seen much from the city council. I haven't seen anything. Well, Keith's the only uh, two. The only two people I've seen were Keith Blocker and Victoria Woodard's the mayor. Exactly. Not surprisingly, you know, the African American members of of elected city government. But I haven't seen much from the city council as a whole indicating that we need to, you know, really take this under our our, our wings and really do something here. No. I, I've only seen those two members expressing any kind of outrage at what's gone on. Well, let's take that as a shift towards the last thing I want us to cover, and that is elections next year. We will have municipal elections in the city of Tacoma. Um in our our mayor is up for re-election. I don't anticipate that she will have any difficulty being re-elected. I think she's done a very good job, uh, and has been a um, she has been a force for trying to get more information on what is going on uh, in this uh, Ellis investigation. Um, and, we'll, and I expect to see more of her. And I'll and I'll talk more about that in a second. But also for city council. Uh, Chris Beal uh, is up for re-election. So is Lillian Hunter and Catherine Ushka. Robert Toms is term limited out, so there will be an open city council position in District 2. Uh, I checked on the PDC website to see if anyone had opened a campaign, and the only campaign that is open right now is, is for the mayor, uh, Victoria Woodards. Nobody else has an open campaign. That sort of surprised me because um, certainly in the legislature where you have to run every two years, a common practice is to close your uh, campaign at the end of the campaign season and then soon okay. after open a new campaign account so that if you have an opportunity to do any fundraising, um, it can go someplace. Um, but no one on the city council has done that. Yeah, I'm a little surprised by that. I hadn't taken a look. I was too. I was too. I'll have to take another look in case I looked at the wrong, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, I had uh, mentioned uh, with regard to city council races, I I assume that most people who can run for re-election will run for re-election, but I have kind of a question mark in my mind with regarding with regard to Chris Beal, only because he started with such enthusiasm. And was kind of shut down pretty quickly in terms of his um, making comments on social media and other things. And and just I just wonder whether he's actually enjoyed being on the city council if it's lived up to his expectations. I wouldn't be surprised if he decided that four years was more than enough. Yeah, I would typically expect that you know anybody who isn't term limited out typically runs for re-election. Um, I have to admit, I'm not particularly close to any of the people who are, you know, re-electable, eligible. Um, and I have heard absolutely nothing in the way of scuttlebutt as to who might be running, either running for re-election or running to oppose anybody running for re-election. Also, haven't heard anything about anybody who might be seriously looking at becoming a candidate for uh, the district to the, the seat that will be open. Yeah, I agree. You know, we sort of have, I have sort of have an assumption that uh, Justin Camerata might be interested. He's, uh, he lives in district two. He lives in district two and he was the interim city council member for that district. while Robert Toms was away on military service. 
Um, but I haven't heard anything from Justin. And I think it would be quite reasonable for him to be thinking about whether now is the right time, you know, for him and his family or whether, you know, he might wait and do something else. Yeah. And I, I can't even, I mean, Philip Cowan, who uh, is the executive director of the Grand Cinema downtown, he ran against Tom's last time. I would assume he might run, but I don't know him and I haven't heard anything to that effect. Yeah, and I haven't heard I haven't heard about anybody else either. No, the only other thing was there were always there was always some speculation that Holland Cohen might be interested in running for city council. And uh, she has moved into district two, so she could run for this district, but I've never heard more than that little bit of a of a not even rumor. And that was uh, from well over a year ago too. So I don't know if that's currently true or if she also um, is not interested at this time. Yeah, I, I heard that sort of thing too, and I could never tell, is that anything serious, or was that just wild speculation, mm-hmm. you know, because the Coens moved from uh, Ruston to uh, find, living in the city of Tacoma. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I know she did run for, uh, some years back, I think she ran for... Uh, for Ruston? For Ruston City Council, if I'm, I'm recalling that correctly. That goes back a ways. Mm-hmm. So let's use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about, we're sort of running out of time, but here's something that I would really like to see in 2021. We are still in the throes of a pandemic. Although um, vaccination is starting, it's going to take a good long time before most of us get vaccinated. Uh, most the 75% civic, of us who are going to get vaccinated. That's right. Most civic activity is occurring via Zoom meeting and other things, which, you know, does allow more people to participate, but um, is a certain type of participation. I do not see any social media commentary from any of our city council members anymore. I see a little bit occasionally from the mayor, but not very much. I would like to see our city leadership step up and be not only more transparent, but also a little bit more forward in um, their thoughts for the city, what they're doing, and what the goals are for 2021. We have a lot of um, communication modalities available these days, and to not use them to continue to work in the dark is, uh, I think, I don't think, it, I don't just think it's a mistake. It's a, it's a dereliction. Of duty. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I think in a way it's kind of ironic in that it's gotten harder and harder to run for these local offices. Um, You know, it used to be not all that long ago, about 12 or so years ago, you know, if you raised $18,000, you could mount a credible campaign. Uh, We've gotten to the point now where you know, typically first-time candidates are raising eighty, ninety, over a hundred thousand dollars to run for office, and yet when we get people into office, they just almost seem to disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you rarely see city council members speaking about any issues on the record to the newspaper. You rarely see anybody on social media except to, you know, like some some general nonsense about complimenting veterans on Veterans Day, but never weighing in on any real issues. It's like, well, why did you bother? 
Right. You know, we, we I, have people seeking these leadership positions and, and then, you know, we don't get much in the way of leadership out of them. What's the point? Right. I suspect, more than suspect, I'm, I feel quite certain that they have been instructed by their lawyers. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think the point to make here, they're not their lawyers. They get instructed by the city attorney who does not represent the city council. They represent the city. And, and I would say, in my opinion, is not giving very good legal advice to political leaders. Because, well, giving look, very good legal advice if, if you're the city and the city manager. Yes. At the same time, you know, yes, I understand risk management is a significant issue, but the city is going to get sued. It yeah. happens. It happens and it will happen. And yes, depositions will be taken. And if you have gone out in public and said something, let's suppose, let's suppose you've gone out in public and said, as the mayor has, I think that the police officers who were involved in the Manny Ellis killing should be fired. Well, let's suppose there's a lawsuit and you get called as a witness. So what? So what? So stand up and say the same thing. Yes, in my opinion, they should be fired. You know what difference that makes in a case? Not one goddamn bit. Well, you know, the thing that I come back to whenever I think about this is that these are positions of leadership. You know, these are the people we elect to voice our concerns. And it's really hard to see that those concerns are being voiced. We certainly don't see it. We don't see it in the newspaper. We don't see it. We don't see it much of anyway. We don't see it on social media. You know, again, well, what's the point of having leaders who don't lead? Right. Right. And in that vein, last shout out today with the new members of the Pierce County Council, we now have new um, or new organizational structure in Pierce County. And the chair of the Pierce County Council is good friend to this show, Derek Young. Derek is one of the political leaders who does make statements on social media, who will come on to podcasts, who will talk to newspapers. And I really appreciate that. You know, he's one of the very few who will have an honest discussion about issues. And I would like to see a lot more of that. Oh, I agree. And um, I think his term comes to an end in two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he has two years and he's term limited out two years to get everything done that he possibly could want to get done. He has the council backing to do it, I think. And I think we will see some really interesting things coming out of the Pierce County Council. I would love to feel the same way about the Tacoma City Council. I would like them to prove me wrong. I would like them to demonstrate that level of public leadership. I would like them to take on initiatives and engage the public and help to increase the transparency and the openness of our governing processes. That is my hope for 2021. How about you, Joe? What's your hope? Well, I, I, on the county level, I, I do hope that finally having a Democratic majority there, we're going to start seeing some real substantive change from the county. Uh, we do still have a Republican executive, and we don't have enough votes on the council to 
override an executive veto. But I, I, I would hope that we're going to start to see some, some real change from the, uh, from the county on the environmental issues, on uh, development. Uh, you know, I'd like to see some, just some rhyme and reason brought to, you know, how we're, we're developing the county and where we're allowing development, which for years now has just seemed to be willy-nilly and wherever and it just causes all sorts of problems. It causes problems with traffic congestion, with transit. It costs us a fortune to just have this sort of sprawling development that we've had for years. And I would like to see some kind of rhyme and reason brought to this. Am I going to see that? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap this up. Those are our hopes and predictions for 2021. We'll see what happens next. Um, just as a promo for future crossing divisions later this month, we will be partnering with the downtown on the go as they take up uh, Friday forums, discussing design issues and racism. And we're going to be looking at how um, sort of racist, I mean, we'll look at how racist assumptions and decision-making um, shapes the city and how we can move away from that. Um, if you have thoughts on those types of issues, please get in touch. If you have ideas for future episodes or questions, I'd be happy to get them. You can email me, truetacoma at gmail.com, or find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounders B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.